friends, it's Haley Hines, aka Bird, and you are tuning in to the Give Them the Bird podcast. This podcast is all about challenging what it means to be healthy and fit. It's about celebrating sustainable behavior change and non-scale victories. And most importantly, it's about giving the bird to the diet industry and societal expectations of body size. Why? Well, because at the end of the day, you have an entire life to live that does not require your body look a certain way. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's give them the bird. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and GTB listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash give them the bird. You've maybe heard of BetterHelp. It's customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. You all know I'm a huge advocate for therapy, and I'm lucky to have a long-standing therapist who I meet with regularly, but that was not always the case. I remember before having decent insurance that I had to stop going to therapy because it was so costly out of pocket. Luckily, BetterHelp is way more affordable than what I was paying. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can start communicating with in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There are a broad range of expertise available, which may not be available locally depending upon where you are located. So if you're looking into affordable therapy options and are open to online, check out betterhelp.com slash bird for 10% off your first month of therapy. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash bird. Hello and welcome to Give Em the Bird. It's Haley, aka Bird, and I am so excited to have you here. On today's episode of GTB, I chat with Barb Puzanovova, aka the non-diet trainer. Barb is a health at every size, weight neutral, and inclusive ACE-certified group fitness instructor, personal trainer, behavior change specialist, and certified intuitive eating counselor. Due to her own story of recovering from an eating disorder, she empowers people to step off the scale and into their life so they can move their body with less rules and more joy. I was so pumped to have Barb on GTB because she was one of the first non-diet or anti-diet personal trainers that I found on Instagram. I have since found many other non-diet trainers, but I just really gravitate towards Barb's messaging. I think she presents non-diet fitness concepts in a way that's different than how my brain works. Um, It's kind of hard to verbalize how it's different, but you'll hear in the episode that a few times I mentioned how much I appreciate the way she explains things. I think it helps me to see from a different perspective and just connect and engage with more people whose brains don't operate like mine, (laughs) which is totally normal. Um, So it was super cool to chat with Barb. And I'm really excited to share her insight with you. I do want to include a brief trigger warning that there is mention of eating disorders throughout the episode. We really don't spend a ton of time chatting about them, but I want to give you all a heads up. So as always, if you're sensitive to that content, please feel free to skip over that part or just maybe set this episode aside and do something else to take care of you. So Barb and I kick off the episode by talking about common perceptions or kind of ideas of what it means to be a personal trainer. We talk about how often people think trainers have to look a certain way to do their jobs. And then that actually leads us into talking about how Barb's work has changed since the start of the pandemic. Barb shares how her definition of healthy and fit has changed over the years. And in that, she talks about how dance and other forms of movement actually helps her to regulate and cope with her emotions, which I think is super cool. 
We also talk a little bit about identity, specifically identifying with a form of movement or maybe identifying as an athlete or exerciser and how some of the expectations we often hold with being or doing that thing can impact us if our ability to be or do that thing is at stake. So like if we get injured or we're sick or something. I feel like that sounds kind of confusing, but it makes sense in the episode. Trust me. (laughs) Barb also shares how identifying so strongly with exercise might lead into disordered habits or eating disorders. Um, This is something that Barb actually experienced in her own life. We talk about red flags and green flags when it comes to finding a non-diet or health at every size trainer, the importance of creating agency and autonomy with clients, and joyful movement, um, which is really Barb's bread and butter. So we talk about what joyful movement is and what are some steps you can take to move from conventional ideas of exercise to joyful movement. So before we dive in, I do want to remind you that if you enjoy this episode, if you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to leave a rating and a review over on iTunes. And as always, I love to hear feedback and insights. So feel free to share your thoughts with me on Instagram at Give em the Bird Podcast. Okay, enough of me now. Without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Barb, the non-diet trainer. Welcome to the podcast, Barb. Thank you so much for joining us. I am very excited to have you on. Um, Start us off by just telling the people who you are. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, So I'm Barb, the non-diet trainer. And um, Lord, I don't know what else to say past that other than I'm super excited to kind of talk about what joyful movement is. That's my biggest thing as the non-diet trainer. There's two parts to it. The first part is huge. It's exactly how I do my work and why I do my work. Um, And then the trainer part still means that I know um, about bodies, about movement patterns. I'm super passionate about helping people move in a way that they can like take that on their own and feel empowered um, and not have to depend on me forever. So yeah. Yay. I love the way you break that down into there's two parts to it, the non-diet piece and the trainer piece. Cause I think a lot of times when we hear like non-diet, whatever, we forget about the second half. Um, but it's yeah. important to know that like you still got the, the degree and all the things to back up the trainer part of you. <laughs> Perfect. And I like to kind of point that out. I'm going to like riff off of that because as a non-diet trainer, I feel like, um, and I know there's a lot of us, I know that (laughs) there's a lot of amazing non-diet and anti-diet health at every size trainers. I'm certainly not the only one, Um, just came up with a cool name, (laughs) but um, it it can feel like you have to choose one or the other. Like either you're going to be non-diet and you're going to support people in their journey and recovery from eating disorders and exercise disorders, or just like healing their relationship with food movement and their bodies. In which case, if I only chose that, I would probably recommend getting a degree in psychology, Mm. or social work or something like that. And a lot of my friends end up doing that. Um, But I'm really passionate about helping people move their bodies in a way that feels good, but also like is correct for Mm. themselves in this moment. Um, I have to kind of be like, you know, precise with that language uh, because as an Enneagram one, I'm very much like, yeah, there's a proper form. There is a way to do a squat well for you. Um, but then of course, like, as you know, different hips, different leg lengths, et cetera, et cetera. 
we'll make that squat look slightly different, whatever the proper form quote unquote is um, from body to body. And mm-hmm. also like, yeah, it just mm-hmm. needs to be, needs to be variable and needs to be adjustable. But um, the trainer part is still in there. And I think because I, you know, when you said introduce yourself, I think I still am working on like introducing myself mm-hmm. as a trainer. I think that is the hardest fucking thing <laughs> sometimes. Um, I was get at AT&T, like upgrading my phone a few months ago. And I was like, uh, you know, they're like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a trainer, but not like that. Yeah. Not like, <laughs> what you think? <laughs> um, and the kind lady that was assisting me was asking like, so do you do like, I think it was like a burn, like hit burn or something. And I was like, interesting. It's always fascinating to me to see what people um, assume about like, what is it to like, work in fitness what is it like to participate in fitness a lot um and be in the industry i guess or have it as a career um usually the assumption is like okay you're doing some sort of group class it's usually circuit or high intensity um and it's usually like not your real job quote unquote mm-hmm. it's like you always have some sort of full-time gig on the side and this is like this is just your like hobby and it's all cute yeah like, your hustle your side hustle yes and i'm like mm, so this is my real job <laughs> I really do this and I pay taxes on it. So <laughs> that's and when you know it's legit. <laughs> it's so legit. The, money, the government takes my money. So you know yeah. what? I'm legit enough. And so I think that it's an interesting question to ask. And then for me to be like, hey, I am a trainer. Absolutely. And also what are your assumptions around what that means? Because by and large, she would have been right. I would have totally been, I mean, shoot, prior to the pandemic, I was definitely teaching a butt ton of, um, you know, circuit style group classes of like, you know, you have like 10 to 20 people in the room and you're like doing your best as a trainer, just kind of scan and be like, okay, who's going to hurt themselves? Yeah. (laughs) How can I mitigate risk here? (laughs) Correct. And I think I've just shifted, um, this past year for sure to just being like, you know what, one-on-one is where it's at, or even small group stuff of just being able to really talk through stuff. Like I know that you can get into the nitty gritty, but you know, talking about squats again, it's like, I'll have people take their shoes off and watch their feet. Like what are your toes doing? And I just don't think you get that in like a group setting or, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah, I care about your feet. I care about your toes. (laughs) This is how much I care. (laughs) And like, not in like a shitty, um, I'm, you know, picking it apart kind of way, but just like a, Hey, like bring awareness to your feet and let's see what's happening there. You know? Yeah. I love that, that you bring up just the expectations that, or even the yeah, societal expectations or societal ideals around what it means to be a trainer. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who, um, he's a strength and conditioning coach. And, um, we talk about this a lot, just like, how we society or like culturally, we judge a trainer based on their body size or like the way their body looks like based on aesthetics. It's like, you don't look like a trainer. So, um, you, you don't fit the part, so you can't do the job. And I remember when ACE fitness, um, who that's who I'm certified through, Hmm. I think it was last year, maybe, maybe two years now. I feel like the pandemic year is just like what happened. Um, But two years ago, they finally had on, I think it was the cover of one of their like monthly journals, um, a photo of a woman who I would still say was in a straight sized body, like maybe not stick straight, but like she can still find clothes at, you know, department stores or whatever. Um, 
And the heading was, is there a body image issue in the fitness industry? And I was like, hell fucking yeah, about time you you talk about it. Like there is such an expectation. And I think that um, even the trainer or the coach that I, you know, have this conversation with, he has like a very aesthetically pleasing body um, or however you want to word it. I don't know what the proper way to word it. Like ideal body, quote unquote, ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, But even he hates it because he's just saying how it's like, you know, people can look like him and not know what the fuck they're doing. So yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I love, I love that you are breaking down those expectations for even the people that are switching over your phone plan. Like you're doing it. (laughs) Never know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I never try to, you know, like sell it in that way, but it's just like, Hey, I just want you to know that. And also like, it's, it is important for me to like also mention I have gained weight and I'm still in a straight side body. Like this, not, that is not changed. Um, and so the context of that is important because I feel like there's also a lot of folks who are like, but yeah, body positivity. Like I'm an instructor and like, <laughs> I always laugh. I think it was maybe Lucy mountain. I forget what her name is, but maybe she posted about how body positivity is not, I just feel positively about my body. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yes. I was like, I just really appreciate this is great. I'm like, we are completely fucking forgetting why this movement started, who it started for, who it's for, who's supposed to be at the forefront. And it is not thin white women. <laughs> like, let's just drill. And so um, that's been interesting to navigate. And I feel like I it is a red flag for me if I follow somebody in the fitness, health and wellness industry, if they're thin and white. I'm like, I mean, same. Um, but if they don't name fat phobia, or if they don't name their own thin privilege I'm kind of like hmm interesting interesting and that doesn't mean they wouldn't be open to that conversation but it does make me question like have you considered this and the fact that you may have you know 200,000 followers because of the way you look and now your body is somewhat of a business card and like that gives you some sort of clout and some sort of like respectability. And it's like, hmm. I totally agree. I feel like, especially after um, the last year, because I have mentioned on the podcast before, like I woke up to my own privilege and, you know, racist conditioning this past year, like so many other people have, like it took me, you know, 28 years, but here we are. Um, And it is, I agree. It's a red flag for me too. If I don't see people like talking about racism in the wellness space, because like, yeah, it's, it's, there. <laughs> it's rooted like in diet culture too. Like if somebody is, you know, anti-diet or non-diet, but they're not talking about how diet culture is rooted in racism. I'm like, okay, next. Like there are plenty of other people who have the right idea and are at least trying to learn and making an effort. Um, yeah. and if you're just trying to gain a following, um, by staying silent, like I'm not here for it anymore. Like maybe a year ago, I wouldn't have noticed that, but, um, you were saying how like through the pandemic, your training, it sounds like your training style has maybe changed a lot. I'm curious, just like in general, how your definition of healthy and fit has changed over the years. Cause I know that, um, just how open you are on social media, that it's been a journey for you. So I'm curious if, um, yeah, what you can share with us on how your definition has changed. Yeah, for sure. I feel like as a kid, like my family was very much like we didn't go to church. So we just called it dirt church on Sundays when we would go to like hike or like kayak or something. It was a lot of like non-gym things. My parents were very much like, we're going to go like take adventures. And like, it wasn't 
you know, neither of my parents were like, we're going to run a marathon, you know, like that wasn't the, the mood. Um, and so <laughs> it was not the mood. I didn't, you know, I played sports, but it was like, you know, peewee soccer where I picked dandelions most of the time or like rec gymnastics where I like stuck my tongue out and was not ever like a super competitive kid. I like doing things like right, I guess, but that didn't come till later. So I think as a kid, I was kind of like, yeah, this is fun. Like I don't do stuff to like win medals or whatever. And so I really appreciate my childhood for that because I have like something to return back to, but I think it wasn't until, so high school, no. Okay. So I rode horses also. <laughs> and it, what are, what's that called? An equestrian? Equestrian, I guess. Equestrian. <laughs> did not compete. That's a whole nother level, but I enjoyed like riding horses, um, which I had the opportunity to do, I think in like middle school, um, at this really, really tiny farm because Tennessee is full of them. Um, so I lived my best horse girl life, um, during that time, <laughs> still, still a horse girl, I'm sure. Um, but then I moved to dance like sometime in high school, which I was, again, not a super competitive dance mommy kind of space, which I'm super grateful for. Um, but yeah, I mean, fuck, I feel like every dancer that I talked to was like, and that's where it started. I was bigger than the other girls. And again, I was a tiny human being, but in comparison, I was like, I have a little more muscle and body and boobs than these other folks. This is interesting. Um, and so it was just like, yeah, a lot of that, but also I will say that dance was incredibly healing for me. Like, I think that's where I started to connect movement and emotion and like being able to move in a way that like, I remember I would come out from, you know, class at the end of the day. And I was like, I have a stomach ache because I'm an anxious fucking child. <laughs> and I was like, I just need to dance it out. Uh -huh. And then poof, like no stomach ache afterwards. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, so I think that's where it started to connect for me where I was like, oh, so when you have these feelings of like, you don't feel good enough or you're really stressed out or da, 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 like I learned how to cope and regulate with movement. Um, and hilariously enough, running was also part of that. Like I remember my first, uh, or one of my like first kind of more serious relationships, um, my boyfriend was like, oh, like, instead of like getting all like down on yourself, why don't you go for a run? I was like, that's dumb. <laughs> like, why would I do that? But I remember I would like sneak out at 10 PM and wear my rocket dogs, which are not. Oh my gosh, <laughs> rocket dogs. <laughs> I would wear those and then be surprised that I had shin splints because I would run for like three or four miles and then come back and be like, oh, my shins hurt. I don't know why. It can't be the rocket uh, dogs. <laughs> it can't be that in proper footwear. Uh, I did eventually get like actual running shoes, but it was like, that was a way for me to get introduced to running in a way that I was like, oh, so this is a, like a way to cope or like a way to help my mental health, not for like running to change my body or whatever, which is, I think is a, what a lot of people are introduced to running as. Again, like movement was a way for me to like feel grounded, understand like, what is it even to cope with emotions? What is it like to feel your emotions and let them be there? Um, so that was really powerful for me for sure as a, a teenage child. Um, and we talked about this a little bit before, um, since neither of us have like a whole lot of athletic, you know, I don't have an athletic bone in my body. I always say like, I enjoy movement so much and I value it so much, but also like not an athlete, not a super competitive person. 
but yeah, so we talked about this a little bit um, that I noticed this in probably other people, but I know I'm going to speak for my own experience of like then in high school, um, that same boyfriend would also introduce me to the gym. So kind of like double-edged sword, super awesome that he introduced me to strength training. I was like, this is great. But also it was more like strength training for aesthetics. It was a lot of like the bodybuilding split. We never did legs. So my upper body, I can bench like a badass, but I cannot squat. <laughs> and my bench is 100% more than my squat right now. <laughs> Just how it is. I laugh because that is not how it normally goes. So the trainer brain inside me is like, that's that's not right. But you know what? It's all good. We all have preferences and strength. <laughs> but yeah, it started out as like an aesthetic thing, obviously. Um, and it was kind of like from the same vein of like strong is the new skinny, like just get muscle. It's not about like working out on the elliptical for hours and hours. This is actually so great. And again, like I think there is an... I feel like I'm constantly saying like, there's this duality of like, that is great. It was a stepping stone to where I am now, but also just valuing your body for, you know, the way that it looks that it's like, oh, look at my shoulders. I'm so muscular. It's like, well, that's not maybe from the best like of intentions. Let's take it another step further forward. And hilariously, the next step was CrossFit, <laughs> all things, um, which I appreciate my box at the time a lot it was a lot of grad students like young professionals like people who didn't give that much of a fuck so that was really nice um the coaches were you know for the most part like I don't remember them saying a whole bunch of like diet culture stuff it was just like make sure your form is good like listen to your body that kind of stuff like I remember one coach in particular even if he like pushed us he was like hey but I'm not going to push you to the point where you're like form is really shitty you're going to get injured like that's not the point um, so I appreciated it for sure. I think what I liked the most about it was that it was shifting from that aesthetics thing to like a functional, like, what can you learn? I came in there every day and I was like, what the fuck is a Turkish get up? <laughs> I don't know what it is. Or like, how do you do a handstand push up? And I remember just being so jazzed about like, oh wait, like I can practice the skill and eventually it'll get better. Or some things I'm better at naturally. And then some things I'm like, ooh, <laughs> this ain't it. Um, but we get to kind of work at it together and it was cool to see also different kinds of bodies and different like just abilities like figuring that out together like there was a woman there who was just an incredible badass rower and I was like I'm learning so much from you like this is awesome <laughs> I love this um, so yeah the learning component was great I think obviously now looking back at it, it was like wow I was doing that a lot um, and it was it's like this balance of like, yeah, sometimes we talk about exercise, like over-exercising is like, <clears throat> it's from like a punishing yourself thing. And I'm like, I don't think I was punishing myself. I just think I really liked it. And I had a really hard time stepping away from it. Like rest days were such a fucking hard thing for me to do. And they'd always be like, you have to rest. You can't. And I was like, I hate this. <laughs> I hate taking a day off. And, um, that's yeah that I can't say that that's the case anymore but um yeah doing like high intensity stuff like that all the time is is not the move um from any sort of perspective it just doesn't make any sense um so yeah I just remember 
that being again useful in its own way and also kind of the phrase there that I would use is like it's not what your body looks like but what it can do and again that sounds super empowering and it worked for me at the time um, but when it stops working is when our bodies do something like have an injury or you get busy and you need to focus on something other than working out which happens a lot because we're human beings <laughs> and I had a revelation at that point where I was like I do not get paid to work out. So why the fuck am I doing it to this extent? There was a time where I was like, I'm going to go to CrossFit regionals. And oh yeah. That was soon squashed. I was like, we all had that moment. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So whatever it takes to get there, I don't want it or have it or want to work to have it. So that was another thing. I was like, yeah, I'm just doing this like for fun. And it is fun for me, but Ooh, we do not need to be doing it this much. Um, but yeah, it's, if we put our value, then it's like, cool. We've moved from putting our value into what we look like into like what our bodies can do for us. But when they quote unquote, cease to function, like they need to rest or they get sick or tired or they're aging, or they're just changing in some different way. Um, then suddenly that stops and it's like, oh no, like, how many people have we seen where they're like, I don't know what to do with myself when I can't work out and I'm injured. And it's like, on one hand, I totally get it. Like if you're, you get a lot of joy from let's say like cycling or running and then you get a, a leg injury, something that prevents you from doing that thing. I understand that's really hard, but that's why we don't like only put our eggs in that basket because I like to have a life outside of movement and outside my body to be able to like do something else like great like you enjoy reading or like crocheting or something else that brings you joy because it's like damn like that's okay if movement brings me joy and also I need other things um I think I got it from actually the movement maestro Shantae talked about this recently of diversifying your joy portfolio where it's like you're not going to invest into just one stock like you need to put a whole bunch of different things and that's not a bad thing. That doesn't mean that you know, movement doesn't bring me joy. It just means I got other things too. So that even if this stock falls, quote unquote, you know, using the metaphor, other stocks can rise and it's like, cool, I'm still having a good time here. So um, yeah, that was kind of the next phase. And I feel like after that, it moves into this just like, I don't know, it's like this deeper like acceptance and compassion and just like respect and body neutrality regarding like how you feel about yourself, knowing that it's going to ebb and flow and how much I want to move or how much my energy is like, that's going to ebb and flow too. Like I said, it's like, uh, when was it 2018? I ran an ultra marathon. It was super fun for me <laughs> at the time. Would I do it again? No. Um, I know what it takes. And I'm just like, that was really cool for that season of Barb. And now we're doing something else. Like it's, that's okay. Um, I don't need to hold on to that. And I learned a lot about myself and, um, I know my therapist at the time was like, are you okay? And I was like, yes, <laughs> I am. I just wanted to do this. <laughs> it was a lot of like spending time by myself in the woods, which I needed at the time. Um, and <laughs> lots of snacks. I will say trail running is like fucking great. Cause you have so much food. You can walk, you can have snacks. It's just, oh, wow. I need to pick up trail running, walking and snacking. It was, yeah, they're like, walk the hills. Why would you ever run it? You're trying to go for a long time. Like, don't like fuck yourself up on this hill. 
<laughs> or say no more you have to or sometimes you have to walk because like the trail is rocky and impassable so you just have to like keep going forward you know mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you walk it doesn't mean the run doesn't count all of a sudden mm -hmm. um because you stopped running um or you run slowly I think I averaged probably like a 12 to 15 minute mile and I was like that's it that'll get I finished <laughs> that's <laughs> like awesome. I ran a I ran a marathon in college for um uh, an organization I was a part of called Dance Marathon. They raise money for, um, yeah, pediatric oncology patients. And so I had like a lot of motivation behind it, but I remember I just was talking to my sister, who's a personal trainer the other day. Um, well, I was actually like a few months ago the other day. Um, and I told her, I was like, yeah, at the time I didn't realize that like people who run marathons, unless you're like at an elite level, you don't actually like run the whole thing. Like, you can walk through the water station. Like I didn't understand that to me. It was like, it doesn't count if you're not running it the whole time. And I think that that um, makes me think of what you were talking about. Like if you get injured or something and you can't do your sport or, you know, whatever it is um, that you're doing, like work out the way that you like to. Um, it's almost like we lose a piece of like our identity is so tied to that thing. And I think that's like, I wanted so badly to be a runner and to be a marathon runner that I was like, in order to be a marathon runner, I can't walk <laughs> through anything. And then I, and then I finally went pee at mile 14 and I was like, shit, I can't get off the board of body. I was like knocking on the wall next to me for my friend, Sarah. I was like, Sarah, I can't stand up. Like my quads cramped up. <laughs> yeah. But that, that reminds me of that. That's so funny that we, um, I've definitely felt that experience of like, uh, you know, identifying with like being the fit person or being the person that does this kind of thing. And um, we definitely actually touched on that a lot in the joyful movement program uh, around motivation, because I feel like folks are like, oh, you're a trainer. Like you must be motivated all the time to move your body. Like you already know what movements you enjoy and which ones you don't and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I do have that self-awareness, but sometimes if I'm depressed and I know that a walk will help me because I need to just be like out in the sun and like get out of my house um, for even like five, 10 minutes, I don't have the motivation to do that. I'm like, I might even just like complain and just be like, you know what? <laughs> I don't want to do this. Um, but ultimately I know that it's going to help me feel a little better. So cool. And then sometimes I don't brush my teeth and I lay in bed. So it's like, you know, <laughs> fair enough. Um, so I don't know where I'm going with that, but just like this whole, like, if you do the thing, obviously, you know, the more you do a thing, the more that it feels like it's somewhat a part of you. Um, so that's cool. I guess that's like my thing. It's like this weird, like thing we do with our egos and our brains of like, oh, I do this thing. So I must be this thing. Um, but then it's like, if I don't do this thing, then I must not be part of this thing. And then we start to get real shamey and real, like, you know, isolated and like, oh, I'll never be that thing. I can't do it. Da, da, da. And it just feels, yeah. Sometimes it's like, yeah, maybe you won't feel like you're part of that thing. Like, and it's also okay. If you're like, I never want to step inside a gym. Like, that's just not my scene. It's not my style. Great. I like to explain that you know, I'm not a huge musical theater geek. Some people really are like, you just see it in them. They just light up talking about like, oh, and hair and this and that. Um, I think the only musical that I like genuinely have gotten into recently was Hamilton. Um, and I'm sure there's people listening to this who are like, oh, that's it. <laughs> like, okay. 
And I think we just ha all have different interests and that's okay. We just need to let it be like this insistence that fitness needs to be our identity and we need to be fitness fanatics at some point in our lives is just like really fucking annoying. <laughs> yes. It's like this, you're not healthy unless you're so deep into it, you know? It's like, um, or maybe people have different interests. Like maybe they're really, really stoked on, you know, like dog adoption. Like there's amazing, like organizations around here that do that or advocating and talking about like all kinds of social justice issues or like, I don't know, like getting involved with local politics. Like that isn't, that hasn't been me until kind of more recently where I'm like, oh, so these people are running. I don't just know, like <laughs> at the tail end, I kind of know more ahead of time. And it's like, oh, thanks to all these people who that is their thing. And thank that they're, you know, they're not all just fitness fanatics because then I wouldn't learn shit. <laughs> I also just think about how much even more misinformation there'd be out there. <laughs> it's like if we all, if anybody that worked out was a quote unquote fitness fanatic, we'd, we'd be fucked by the amount of like, for sure. We already are. <laughs> we already are. And you know, I don't know if I even mentioned this because I feel like it's so part of my story that I share a lot, but it's like, yeah, me and many other um, fitness instructors got into this because of their disordered anything. Like I had an eating disorder, orthorexia, even though it's not, you know, I think technically uh, in the DSM, whatever, it still is very much a thing. Lots of people have experienced it and it can fly so under the radar in health and fitness communities that it's like oh you're so great with your food eating so clean and I was like, you're so disciplined so turns out it was hurting my social life significantly <laughs> I have like no friends from college that's a lifelong thing that I have to deal with and it's just like fuck I don't want to encourage anyone to have to do that like absolutely not so um yeah, like all of these people that you see in the fitness industry, I guarantee you, like if we, I wish that we could do some sort of poll and be like, so how many of these behaviors do you have? Oh, turns out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because again, it's like the really strict, I think about like an in intuitive eating, they talk about the, um, like the styles of eating it's the careful clean eater or the careful eater, you know, it's like comes off as really health and fitness oriented and like wanting to do what's best for my body and all of this, but it's like, obsession is not healthy. Like that obsession is causing, is doing way more harm to your body and your mind than eating a fucking donut would do. <laughs> like, right. oh, way yeah. easier said than done. Way easier said than done. And I yeah. feel like a lot of people who have resistance to that message, which I, at the time I remember, I'm like sitting close to the kitchen where I used to like eat all of the egg white, uh, which would cause omelets, which like the yolk, the yolk makes good. <laughs> I hate the yolk. I hate the yolk bar. I have a picture on my phone that I took of my egg whites in my pan the other day. And in my head, I'm thinking like, I have such a fucked up relationship with egg whites because at first it was like, you know, don't eat the egg whites because the yolk has all the calories. And then I got to this point where I was like, no, fuck that. Eat the egg yolks. And I'm like, wait, I actually don't like the taste of them. And so like, oh, <laughs> yeah. There's so many things where you're like, oh, I actually don't like eating this. Yes. <laughs> but I, I totally get, you were at that point where it's like, it's just like, yeah, we're just like, oh, it has a lot of protein and I have to hit my macro goals, blah, blah, blah. And for some people, if they're like, I was resistant to it. My parents were like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? 
like this is what you're supposed to be doing like you're the crazy one who's not getting protein in <laughs> and I was like turns out I was having an eating disorder <laughs> um but doesn't mean that just because you eat egg whites it automatically means that you have an eating disorder, but it's like, you have to question the intention there and like, where is this coming from? Um, big time. But as a trainer, I'm not diagnosing or whatever. Right. <laughs> right. That. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that's always a caveat. I have to be like, Hey, so personal trainers are not supposed to give you like personalized nutrition or diagnose or treat or claim to treat anything. Okay. <laughs> line of therapy and I'm like so this isn't a therapeutic it can be therapeutic but it's not therapy and the lines are blurred a lot but I always if I have clients I'm like do try to like if there's something that comes up in session it's like do you try to bring this up with your therapist like I'm not the best person to talk to about this even if I can relate and self-disclose and kind of share you know like oh I, I understand where you're coming from and validate it I'm not going to be the best person to give you coping tools for it or like you know, go into more depth with it. And they understand that. And I think that's like the most important thing. Like, yeah, this is not like the main bulk of what I do. Um, but kind of on that similar note of like people having resistance to that message of like, hey, so actually pushing yourself super hard is like actually not the move, which you mentioned um, your friend who, who trains athletes really. It's like I, the biggest message that I really heard for myself is like athletes are actually not healthy <laughs> athletes are pushing themselves for um you know a very peak performance at some point like they're usually during their competitive phase or whatever their competition season is and they're not training for health they're just training for performance and peak performance for whatever their body is which is why typically athletes are not in you know really in the game past 40 like even at 30 it's kind of like mm, you're on your way out okay <laughs> like everything before that it's super important to use those years and then after that it's like well your body's aging getting slower so you're gonna be put out to pastures sorry um at least that's what I've what I've heard and so it's like yeah that should give us a clue that if athletes are training for the first you know few decades at best of their life then what about the other like 50 decades if you're lucky like at the end of things and it's like so what do you do with that <laughs> I don't think you'll be working out or eating in the same prescribed ways as an athlete at that point like I know that there are people who are like well you should never stop like training like an athlete like if you don't keep moving then you'll you know lose that ability I'm like that's <sighs> but do you need to keep moving in an intense way do you need to keep like I mean I understand like from a physiological perspective, like loading your tissues, blah, 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 like keep challenging them. But it's like, first of all, do you enjoy that? <laughs> Great. If you don't enjoy it, no fucking way are you going to want to do it for 50 years. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And Tyler and I were just having this um, conversation because the one sport that I um, actually enjoy watching, I love watching CrossFit. <laughs> like yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to remember exactly the conversation, but we were just talking about how so many people in CrossFit gyms and, and really, I don't even want to say CrossFit gyms because I don't want it to be like just an isolated to CrossFit thing, but so many people think that like, oh, so-and-so athlete does this. So if I do that, 
if I work out the same, if I, you know, eat the same, then I will be able to do the same thing and, and all that. And maybe, yes, they take genetics into account, but like, there's a difference between getting paid to do something and not getting paid to do something like, you know what I mean? It's like having something as your job and then having whatever means necessary, like that you need to recover and perform optimally. That is totally different than just being um, a fitness enthusiast. Like we cannot expect ourselves to perform at that peak level. And even like I've purchased some, um, CrossFit programs from, from athletes and I'm like, this shit's too much for me. And like, I'm in decent shape. Like I consider myself fairly fit. Um, but like, it's too much for me. And it's like, appropriate. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I, I think that conversation is so important that, you know, this whole like obsession is not healthy. And many of the things that the people we idolize for their, their fitness or their athletic performance, many of the things that they're probably doing in order to get there are not healthy. Like, right. Just like, just because somebody looks some way aesthetically doesn't mean that they're healthy. Just like, just because somebody can perform a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that too. So yeah, I love that you bring that up. It's just, it's tough to, I mean, I remember I was doing a certification recently and it still felt somewhat revolutionary for people to be like, like abs doesn't mean that this person like knows what, knows what they're doing or like their metabolic, you know, health is like, okay. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) you can't just look at a person and know what the fuck their health looks like. Yes. With a invisible illness, like chronic illness stuff, autoimmune diseases will tell you that they'll be like, I look fine. I'm dying on the inside. (laughs) Just so many examples of that where it's like, okay, so you have no clue or like somebody who's in a bigger body and being like, yeah, my blood panel is fine. My blood pressure is fine. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) That reminds me of um, a post that you did. It was a few, well, I, I recently shared it. So I feel like you just did it, but I know that it was probably a few weeks back on like the red flags and the green flags and everything. That makes me think of that. And so I wanted to talk to you about that. Like from your perspective, for somebody who is, you know, looking for, to get to an, into a new gym or even follow somebody on Instagram, a personal trainer or a trainer or a coach, um, but they're really wanting to prioritize, you know, their own health, like their own relationship with their body and movement and everything. What are like some red flags and some green flags to look for? I would say always my biggest red flag, and I'm not looking at the post to see how close I can get to it, but my biggest red flag is always like, if I'm anywhere in the intake form, they still ask you for your weight or they take your body composition or just ask anything about like your weight loss desires. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. You can have those desires if you want, but I will not ask you about them. I will not bring it up because I don't even want to like bring it into the room. Obviously, if you're like, Hey, I'm still having these thoughts, but I'm trying to put it in the back burner, very different conversation, but I'm not going to like put it at the forefront and bring it and invite it into the room and be like, yeah, let's like still talk about those like desires that have been conditioned into you basically. And it's like, "Mm." yeah, I would just say like, it's not on, it's not on intake forms for sure. So if it is on an intake form that gives you a clue of like, okay, so this will still be you're still kind of buying into the fact that like weight is traditionally like associated with health, which that's not really true. Um, And so that's a big red flag for me. And I would also say big red flag. Also, if you look at speaking of social media, 
on their page if they value client success as like a before and after picture. Those are really telling. Um, and they can list, I mean, they can defend themselves and be like, oh, but I'm also listing like they have better energy and mood and sleep through that. I'm like, so you can make that point without a before and after. You can make that point without saying how much weight, you know, uh, Madison lost or uh, how much body fat. Sometimes they'll be like, it's not about weight, it's body fat. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> body fat, body composition is the new scale. Like, it just yourself. It's like, it's not actually about weight. I gained weight, but I'm like, but you look leaner. So really you're still buying into this aesthetic. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I think that's another red flag where they're still trying to kind of scoop past and be like, oh, actually, because I know that's in my bio, it's like step off the scale, but really it should be like step off like the in body also. Because I don't give a fuck. Like I understand I'm a big proponent of like gaining muscle mass if we can, especially for folks with higher estrogen levels, because I know osteoporosis down the road, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's not like super motivated. Like I don't lift weights to be like, yeah, decreasing my risk of osteoporosis down the road. Yeah. <laughs> I think about it every time <laughs> doing this for my bones. <laughs> my bones really feel strong. Um, yeah. <laughs> not brittle right now. Um, so it's like, yeah, I understand. Like, I'm always going to be here for more muscle mass. And again, that can be a stepping stone for somebody who's going from just a really weight, you know, just scale centered kind of view of their body of like, if the scale goes down, that's a good thing. Um, then it can be a really radical shift to then go to body composition and be like, oh, actually my body may be heavier, but also I'm gaining a lot of muscle mass. And that's awesome. Um, but ultimately, ultimately I would say like, just don't do either of those things. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your strength. You don't have to see it as a number. My mm-hmm. clients know that they're stronger without knowing how much muscle they have on their body. Mm. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I think those are my two main red flags. I don't know what else I wrote on there. <laughs> yeah. You, I actually pulled it up just because you do have really good ones. Um, but I would say, I would totally agree. Those are like, just in, like you said, overemphasis on weight. And even if like, I think about Instagram bios, even if it's like, I help women gain confidence and improve their body image through weight loss. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. like you lost me there. <laughs> so you also have, um, selling supplements or other diet food. That's an obvious. Yeah. Obvious, beautiful one emphasis on intensity over quality of movement. That's a good one. that I don't think people think about. Mm-hmm. Definitely em- emphasizing like, oh, like I, I just really don't jive with the language of like, yeah, I just like killed my clients with this workout or like, you know, pretending that I'm evil, writing my programming. I'm like, I'm not evil. I'm trying to help you. I'll admit that programming split squats is a hard thing, for example, or rear foot elevated split squats. Let's be real. Um, it's like, mm, those are really hard for most people. And it's like, I'm not going to skate around that fact, but also like, I'm not sitting here being like, how can I torture my clients? That's a fun thing to say. Yes. That is such a good point. I've, I've seen, um, a post about that. So yeah, I love that you mentioned that. And then the last point you have on here, I think you, you mentioned with like your, your intro creating codependency rather than agency. Mm, Yeah. That is so huge. And I loved what you mentioned in the beginning, like I don't want you to have to work with me for forever. You know, like that's not the goal. The goal is for you to learn how to move your body on your own. And like what you said, create agency. Um, Yeah. And it's like, it's fine if, you know, and I also do like 
um, you know, pay someone to program for me sometimes where I'm like, Hey, I don't want to like figure out all the nuts and bolts of, you know, how many reps and sets and rest I need to have. But I do know that, and I want my clients to know that if they write, Oh, here's a goblet squat, or if they tell them on their video, like, Hey, watch out for this thing. You're doing this with your pelvis. They'll know how to kind of figure that out, have the body awareness to do it on their own instead of having someone there real time watching them and their toes, as I mentioned yeah. earlier. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I'm aware. I'm aware of my yeah. toes. Okay. <laughs> I know what's happening with my toes. Well, and I think it gets back to like that last point of creating um, agency versus codependency. I think that also gets back to this idea of creating sustainable health habits. Like, that's that's why, that's what well, not what it it completely is about, but like anti-diet, non-diet is literally saying that diets don't work. They're not sustainable. Like, and I think that's, that comes back around. Like my big thing is yeah. Helping people create those sustainable health habits and sustainable means like not paying somebody for the rest of your life to show you how to do something, you know? So I love that. I don't need to sell you my book supplements, program all this bullshit like yes I do like making money and I make money by helping people with the things they need to be helped with that's understandable it's my work but I'm not going to sell you shit you don't need like if someone's like hey I actually do know how to move my body but I don't need you there in person I'll be like cool there's going to be a service for that or maybe I know who helps people with that um but if someone's like hey I need help with such and such thing it's like, cool. I'm probably going to recommend some basics first before I am like, let's go into the supplements, which first of all, I think I'm also certified through ACE. And I'm pretty sure they say in there, like, you're not supposed to do that. (laughs) No, that is illegal. Like you can discuss the different supplements. Like this is creatine. These are some of the things that, you know, studies have found to be effective with it, but I can't say whether you should take it or not. And I love that I can't prescribe supplements. It's like a freeing thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, man, I I feel like that kind of speaks to the way that I even program. Like I could be like, okay, so you have to do this and this and this on such and such day. And I'll have clients sometimes come to me when I start working with them be like, oh, like give me homework for the other days. And I'm kind of like, I kind of don't want to ever do that because I want you to figure out what you want to do on the days that don't work together so that you can be like, I'm going to go do tennis instead of being like, oh, but Barb said that it's time for, you know, this like interval workout or something. It's like, even if I, even if I prescribed doing a 20 minute walk that just has a different ring to it than just being like, what do I fucking want to do today? Let's just drop that question in there because it's not that me prescribing a 20 minute walk would be inappropriate for somebody, but also how much of our motivation is just like, oh, I'm going to check this thing off and like feel good about it. As someone who's a very much a list checker, I literally have a list right here. Sometimes we need to just sit with ourselves and be like, what the fuck do I want? What do I want? Because then that's <laughs> where you're like sitting alone in your room at like 2 a.m. being like, who am I? Where am I? Yes. What do I want? How did I end up here? <laughs> Been there, done that so many times. <laughs> so many times. And I think having that opportunity to tune in to what you actually want and need is like such a fucking awesome thing. And I don't want to take that away from my clients ever. Even if I'm just like, oh, but it would be so great for them to do this like ankle mobility thing maybe I'll just be like, Hey, that might be a suggested great thing for you. But I would never be like, okay, well you have to do this thing. 
Um, I love that though. And it's, that's creating autonomy for people. And we know that that's what, again, what helps lead to sustainable behavior change too, is like feeling like I get to decide what I want to do. And and there's so many different ways that you can obviously include that in, but yeah, I love that. It's not here is a set in stone plan. It's, you know, bring some, some autonomy to it. I'm also thinking, I don't know. I just thought of this now it's like a very obvious thing, but it's like, well, I have to ask myself as a coach, why do I want to prescribe that? And it's, you know, oh. I want to fix my client and I don't want them to fail. I want them to be successful even, and you can do this non-diet way too, because normally it's like, well, I, I want them to like lose the weight, blah, blah, blah. And so I can post on my Instagram and say that I have, you know, such and such person completed this thing or like, look at their results and, you know, they won. <laughs> like I can still do that in a non-diet way I can still be like oh like this person was just so amazing at like and now they're stronger and their mobility is more and I get to like put the gold star there instead of just letting people be human beings and be like hey so I like didn't do that thing you know like I have a client right now that's canceling a lot like late canceling a lot and I'm like actually you (laughs) I was thinking about it in the car as I was driving home and I was like actually you may be paying me to learn how to say no. <laughs> wow. Because the last time that she canceled, she had like a really emotional like therapy day. And I was like, you know what? Like I first dropped the question. I was like, if movement, like gentle movement would feel good, let's try, see what it feels like. We can walk. Like that is always an option and like roll around on the floor. That's fine. But if you're like that, none of that sounds good to me, then sick. You just paid me to say no. <laughs> and that's awesome too. Um, but yeah, I think that's the question we need to ask ourselves as coaches is like, why do I feel the need to control what my client does outside of the session? Even, even food, even movement, like whatever it is, it's like, Hmm, you're trying to save them maybe, or trying to like speed up their healing. It's like, well, you can't, it took me years to figure out like how to move my body and it, it will continue to like work itself around and around because last year, I think I just did like a lot of walking and stretching and that was very much appropriate. And now I'm kind of like relearning how to like come back into some sort of movement practice more regularly. Cause before it was just like, whatever I can manage, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, oh, I'm working from home a lot more and I don't see myself going back to in-person like super hard like I was before. And that's fine. And that means that Rodney needs, needs to make some adjustments here for sure. And um, so I'm learning again, I realized big time after last year, I was like, oh, I wasn't actually working out a lot. I was just like very active in my job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I am just like, I love that question that you just posed. Like why as a coach, am I prescribing the things that I'm prescribing? And I'm going to have to like journal on that shit because that is even in the non-diet field, um, that is so true. Like, I want you to find joyful movement, but I'm put maybe not necessarily pushing you, but it's like, I want it to be at your own time, but maybe my, yeah, my suggestions in, yeah, that's just, that's a really good question to think about. I'm grateful that you mentioned it. I, uh, and I'm not saying I have it figured out. I feel that coming up when we run the uh, joyful movement program, which so far has been like a four week program, which I always tell people like this is actually a really short amount of time. Like it will speed by for sure. Um, and, you know, because it's a group program, people are kind of sharing their wins and that, you know, some of them 
are like, I found joyful movement. And they're like, yeah, awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, please share those wins. And some people will then get really discouraged because they're like, but I haven't found it yet. Like I haven't figured it out yet. And I'll have people like months after whichever round they were in with whatever cohort, they'll be like, oh, I think I kind of got it now. You know, like it just took way more than the four weeks to have it sink in. But instead of me being like, you know, twiddling my thumbs and being like, I hope this person finds something soon. You know, sometimes people will ask me and be like, hey, I signed up for this thing, but what's like the ultimate goal that you want us to like walk, like the takeaway you want us to walk away with? And usually I'm like, you know, ideally probably just find like one thing that you enjoy doing on your own time and like kind of understand that there's no rules around it. But some people it's like, oh, I walked away with like, I don't know if I even walked away with one movement that I enjoy. Like movement still is hard for me. It's still kind of like a, tricky thing and maybe something I tolerate more than find joy in and I'm like that's okay like keep, keep working at it four weeks is still like just touching the the start of it and so I have to check in with myself for sure about like what are my expectations here and being really clear of like some of you will find it within the first week some of you may not find it by the end of the four weeks that's okay yeah and I in my full-time job I teach a four-week intuitive eating workshop and that's the same thing. I'm always like, my goal in these four weeks is not for you to be an intuitive eater when you leave. Mm-hmm. Um, some of you might be closer than others based on like where your starting point is, but it's like, even if after four weeks, you can just be like, diets don't work. That's what I learned. I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like that is progress, <laughs> you know? So yeah. Yeah. So I want you to talk more about joyful movement. Yes, I do. Um, I feel like my answer changes every time that I talk about this. And I actually want to talk about, and I'm sure you'll be able to help me with this a little bit, but typically I feel like the way that trainers are taught movement is in terms of like calorie expenditure. And by that, I mean, like we learned about the metabolism of like how many, you know, some part of our calorie expenditure needs for that day is just for our body to stay alive and the cells to keep working. Then there's like a small part that we need for like just digesting food that takes some energy. And then there's some uh, amount of, you know, calories or energy that we use just like getting around, moving around. Like that's where, you know, like the neat, you know, exercise, like you have to park further away from the grocery store, take the stairs instead of the elevator, blah, blah, blah. Right. Which is also like very like kind of ableist where it's like, what if I can't take the stairs? What the fuck? <laughs> Are they worse now? Are they a worse person because of that? No. Um, but that's kind of where all those suggestions started coming from. I probably want to say like less than 10 years ago, maybe kind of a relatively new thing of encouraging people to increase their daily movement in that way. And then the rest of it's like anything on top of that is like exercise. Um, and in some ways, again, that can be helpful for people to understand that your body needs energy. You need to eat to fuel all of the things your body does in a day especially you need more food as you're exercising more like cool beans. Um, but I think where it doesn't, it doesn't account for any of the emotions around any of that. <laughs> there are times that I park and most of the time I park closer to the grocery store. Cause I want efficiency. I want to get in and out as fast as I can. I don't get any joy from walking through a fucking parking lot, dog, like diving away from cars. You know what I mean? Like that's not a fun walk for me. I would much rather take that walk at another time at a leisurely pace in the woods or something. 
Um, and so it doesn't take into account emotions at all or like the human experience at all. <laughs> it takes the biology maybe. And it's good to be educated around like what our metabolism actually does and in the way that it does it, that's cool. Um, but I don't think I've ever talked to a client about like the Krebs cycle. Like I just, <laughs> <laughs> so ATP, ATP woo -woo. <laughs> like I understand calories are absolutely a unit of energy. So cool. But what does that actually mean to me emotionally? Not very much. Like only, only the things that we have learned from society, which is more calories equals bad, less calories equals good, um, you know, burn more and, and eat less of them. And that's going to be a great equation. And it's like, no, <laughs> no. And so to me, joyful movement is just putting all of that aside and saying like, can you follow your joy around like what your body, you know, can do and actually experience in the moment? Um, instead of picking your movement based on how many, how many calories it will it burn. Cause there are countless people that, you know, they take their fitness watch into like a restorative yoga class, which I fucking love that shit, pillows and blankets and weighted eye masks and stuff. And I'm like, Oh yes, <laughs> everything. And I didn't enjoy those classes prior to like healing my relationship with movement because I was like, you're not doing anything. You're not like burning enough calories it's not actually movement and so ergo it's useless and it actually is super useful like the amount of rest and you know potentially if you find that kind of stuff restful um is incredibly important for my body's functioning and so you know I think that's where joyful movement steps in and it's like yeah so all of that stuff that we're told about what movement is good or bad or counts or doesn't count we're not going to consider that. We're just going to consider what your emotions about it are. And we'll also talk about like, that's like week two, we talk about, you know, what do you do? Like, how can you process your feelings through movement? Like when you're pissed off, what kind of movement do you enjoy? People will be like boxing or like kind of like higher intensity things or like punching a pillow or I don't know, like that is movement to me too, but how can you use movement to flow with it instead of being like, I'm pissed off, but I'm going to try to go to this like yoga class. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that makes me think of your, your reel from the other day, like oh your, God. your different exercise moods. That was so freaking funny. No, like, it's so funny to walk into like an intense workout class when I'm just like, feeling pretty good, feeling pretty chill. And I'm like, what are y'all on? Because I'm not on the vibe of whatever this is. Everyone's like, yeah, woo. And I'm like, so how can we be friends? Yeah, like how was your day? And it's like, we're not talking right now. I'm like, oh yeah. My sister goes to um, group fitness and it's, it's like a higher intensity one. She's very mindful of like um, diet culture and everything, but it's something she enjoys. And like, she knows her body cause she's a trainer. So um she's like, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend, not necessarily what I recommend this to people, but like, I enjoy it and I like it. And, um, she's been trying to get me to go to a trial class. Cause at times I do like higher intensity movement and I love, I love working out with other people, but she's like, Oh, but you can't talk. I'm like, fuck. They like don't let you talk. And I'm like, I can't go like, <laughs> which someone else would be like amazing. I remember yes. when I talked, uh, in the 6am's and I was like, Hey, how's it going? Everyone was like, don't, don't do that. <laughs> it's six in the morning. I don't want to talk to you. And I was oh like, my God. I get it. I get it. 
Um, yes. Yeah, sometimes I don't feel like talking to people in that class would be perfect for me. And yes. So it's like understanding like that, that, you know, is going to shift because I feel like when we ask ourselves like, oh, what kind of like workouts do you like? And we'll like kind of cycle through it and we're like, I like this and that. And um, I've heard this around like outdoor stuff too, where people will be like, feel the need or feel the shame that they don't like hiking or walking outside because they're like, you know, like the weather sucks. I hate the bugs. I hate the birds, <laughs> whatever it is. And they're like, actually would rather do anything else inside rather than like do like walking outside isn't fun for me. And I was like, okay, cool. Like that's actually, you don't need to walk outside. <laughs> okay. But I feel like we have this need that we need to be like, oh, I need to be really into lifting weights or bar or whatever, like kind of, our, kind of our community or Instagram feed looks like. We're like, oh yeah, I need to be super flexible and do yoga. And it's like, no, I don't. <laughs> it's like, whatever you want to do, whatever brings you joy and that sounds good for you. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, and one question that was submitted and I think it goes along the lines of this is like how to switch from a diet mentality to like the non diet mentality. And I know like an intuitive eating, there's very much like a framework for that. Um, but I'm curious, like, as it relates to like finding joyful movement, like what are some things that like some first steps that folks can take, um, aside from joining the yes. program. <laughs> the diet to non-diet feels a lot. I've had conversations about this before of taking it from external, any sort of like validation, um, to internal and to, and that can be super radical for folks that, um, honestly have had any history of trauma or, you know, like people pleasing and perfectionism. I always feel like we shame that, but it's like, Hey, this might, might've just been a coping mechanism. Um, it's like, it's okay. We don't have to like pile on more shame about that, but it can be really hard to kind of honor our own needs. Um, and so I feel like the easiest thing can be like, if you have a fitness tracker, try not wearing it for a day, maybe a week, like challenge yourself, see what happens. Um, I remember that was my introduction to stepping away from macro counting in 2015 was I'm just going to try it for a month. And if I hate it, I can come back to it. And I never came back to it. So it was just like, a, okay, like I don't need to commit to this forever. Um, but I can at least take that baby step of like, maybe I can just try this and see how it feels. Um, and see what I choose when I'm not constantly looking down at the fitness tracker and being like, oh, but what about this? Or I need to get more steps in. Um, cause that can guide a lot of our decision-making around it. And you may find that you maybe like do less of things and that's okay. I certainly ate more when I was not counting my macros. Cause I was just exploring. My body was like, Ooh, like, what about this? And like, let's try this thing that you've been wanting to try. Um, and I'm sure I gained weight, but I like, didn't weigh myself during that time either. And I was like, that's fine. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to figure this out right now. Um, so I would say that's a great first step. Um, and also just, yeah, in the spirit of exploring things, like trying something that's totally out of your norm. Like you do not need to go to a circuit class. If there's something that, oh my gosh, I think of like circus stuff, like pole dancing or like Lira or just any sort of like find the randomest fucking class, maybe take like, if you are somebody like me that hates going to new places alone, find a buddy and just like get to be goofy with them. Like find a safe person and be like, Hey, so I'm going to do this with you. 
I need support and let's try something totally different and don't take your fitness tracker and see how it goes. Mm. Yeah. That's such a good idea. And I think that for a lot of people too, if they like belong to a gym that has like group fitness classes, I think about some in the area and even, um, like at my full-time job, um, the classes that they have, it's like, try a new class, like some, you know, like even one there that, that you've never tried before, or that for you maybe sounds like not intense enough or, you know, aerobics. Let's go. Did you say water aerobics? Water aerobics. Or also what came to mind after obviously this year in particular, but always is there's also amazing apps. There's like the Become Project, which is incredible. If you kind of like the bar, like dancing style stuff, join uh, J-O-Y-N, super awesome. Uh, there's just, and obviously now trainers are doing a ton of like on-demand stuff. So just finding someone who's like non-diet haze who has those offerings, like my friend, Jamie Carbow uh, at Fit Ragamuffin. She does an amazing on-demand membership. Um, gosh, yeah, there's so many options. But I feel like even if you're like, I live in a small town, I've got like nothing that's not a hit burn camp thing. Great. Just head to the internet or an app and you're, you're going to find something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. There's definitely, it's more accessible now. Like that's again, another ups. I always just feel so weird saying like finding the silver lining in the pandemic, but, um, it just feels really icky, but, um, yeah, things are a lot more accessible now in terms of like different, yeah, different programs and workouts that you can try. So yeah, I love that. So trying something new and trying to step away from your fitness tracker and tuning inward, seeing how you feel. Yeah, exactly. All those. I love that. You are so cool, Barb. Seriously, I feel like I could literally. I I know. I do this with everyone. I could literally talk. It's already almost five twenty. <laughs> I was like, it's "Holy five oh five. This is fine." I am so sorry, but also thank you for your time. This is so great. So, um, the it's J the JMP program. Yes, that starts in July. Yeah. Yes. So, um, folks check it out. And if it's something that you feel like you're at the time in your life where you, um, it's accessible for you and you want to work on something like this in a group setting. Um, yeah. And Barb's awesome. Yes. Right now I have a wait list for it just so anyone, as soon as details come out, can join it. Um, it's in the link in my bio at non-diet underscore trainer. Um, so you can just click that and then all the details about the jam will be there. And I'll also send them out to the wait list first, um, or as soon as I have that hammered down, but it's definitely going to be starting on July 5th. Um, no, the calls will be like Mondays at 7 PM central time, but they're all recorded. So I've had people from all kinds of time zones join, which is super helpful. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard finding a time that works for all like 15 adults or whatever. So understandable. Yeah. And so, um, you just gave out your Instagram hashtag or not hashtag (laughs) your Instagram. What is it called? Handle profile? I don't know. (laughs) So it's non-diet underscore trainer, right? Same is for Twitter. And then the website's the non-diet trainer.com. Um, and that's kind of it. I'm sure I have a Facebook and you know, all that jazz too. So you can find me on Facebook and not on LinkedIn. I don't think I'm on LinkedIn. (laughs) Yay. Awesome. Well, Barb, seriously, thank you so freaking much. It, I, uh, obviously I could talk to you for hours and hours. Um, Thanks for having me on. It's always a fun time. <laughs> 
Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Given the Bird. If you aren't already, be sure to go give Barb a follow over on Instagram at the non-diet underscore trainer. If you enjoyed this episode, again, feel free to leave a rating and a review over on iTunes and shoot me a message on Instagram to let me know your thoughts. I will see you back here in two weeks for another episode, but in the meantime, go give them the bird.